Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello everyone. I have a special guest here. I'm excited to introduce to you and her name is Harriet Prue. She is the eating disorder therapist. That is actually the title of her podcast, which is getting increasingly more and more popular. I think it's more popular in the UK. It's climbing up the charts there, which is exciting. Uh, and so that podcast is amazing. I've listened to a lot of her episodes, not all of them because she has a lot of them, but tons of practical tips for people going through eating disorders, especially with binge eating and bulimia. And then she's also an actual therapist that is working in the UK in Cambridge. And uh, yeah, she works with, I think what attracted me to Harriet too, is the fact that she is, has so much traditional therapy and is really good at helping people with understanding where their eating disorder came from, their stories. And then also she applies a lot of what it seems to me practical tips, skills, and behaviors to get people through that. So I think you really marry a lot of those methods together really well. So thank you for being on the show, Harriet. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me today. Yeah, of course. Um, and could you just, I always love to ask people this because on top of all that, you've also had your own experience with bulimia and binge eating. Could you share a little bit like of what that was like a day in the life for you? Yeah, for okay. those of you guys listening, we just had some technical difficulties, but we're back. Harriet's <laughs> going to share with us her story. <laughs> okay, so I developed bulimia when I was 17 years old. Um, I initially had um, a very brief period of anorexia nervosa for about three months where I went on a very strict diet and lost a lot of weight. But for me, I, I very, very quickly spy, um, spiraled into bulimia, into kind of frequent cycles of binging and purging. But prior to that, I guess um, I'd always had actually quite a healthy relationship with food and my body growing up. But um, there were some sort of issues with perhaps low self-esteem and not feeling kind of good enough um, in certain ways. And I think at 17, it all kind of came to a head when um, I broke up with my serious boyfriend at the time. There was a lot of exam stress and things going on at home. And then one day I sort of decided, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking I needed to lose weight. I went on this strict diet and all those things coming together. That's kind of how I first, sort of first developed bulimia. You, you had mentioned like you just broke up with your boyfriend and then all those sort of things came up to a head, you know, and I was just saying I can relate because nothing horrible happened in my childhood, but I definitely remember having low self-esteem and one day just kind of being like, I think I want to lose weight. And it kind of escalated from there. Right. Mm, yeah, no, I think, I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, isn't it? Because I think um, dieting itself doesn't cause an eating disorder, but it's a massive contributing factor, isn't it? If it's then married with other stresses going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It could just be a whole combination of things and you don't see it coming until it's often too late. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. very true. But tell us, you know, what, uh, what was a typical day for you at maybe one of your lowest points? 
So I think probably one of my lowest points, interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in my lowest points, I was trying to be really, really, really restrictive. And um, when I was in the depths of bulimia, I was always like trying to get back to that kind of phase where I, where I had been what I would have called then successfully restrictive. So I would have just not eaten very much at all during the day. So, you know, just radically kind of limiting everything I was eating. And to the point that by the time I would have arrived home from, um, would have been sixth form then, I would have just been absolutely starving, hungry. And then what I would do is I would normally kind of start off by eating something small. Um, and then I would just very, very quickly lose control and end up having sort of massive, massive binges, you know, eating everything that I had sort of denied myself. Um, I'd feel completely out of control. It'd be in secret. I'd feel incredibly ashamed. And, um, and then I would end up sort of purging that afterwards. And I guess in the kind of worst phases, um, I would sort of do that multiple times. Um, so yeah, it was, um, yeah, not great. And I think as well, something else that's just kind of worth mentioning is I think another kind of very low point as well was when um, that was sort of linked as well with drinking alcohol. Um, not that I ever had a problem really with alcohol, but I think particularly as well when I was a student and I would kind of go out and then drink, I hadn't really eaten enough in the day. And then I would completely again, lose my inhibitions, um, lose control around food. And it was just a really, really, really horrible cycle. Cause I think my experience of binging and purging, um, it was never something that I enjoyed. You know, mm -hmm. I might have very fleetingly enjoyed the binging, but I always felt just absolutely physically and emotionally horrendous afterwards. And I found as well, when I was in the kind of depths of the cycle, it was so hard sometimes to get your head above water and kind of, you know, start and to take care of yourself again the next day it would be you know once I sort of slipped down the slippery slope it would be very easy then to be in kind of binge and purge cycles for several days yes. um so yeah incredibly horrible sort of shameful um time yeah well you keep on like you said it feels momentarily okay and then it's physically exhausting horrible awful most of the time and otherwise and then you keep getting to that cycle over and over again even though you try really hard not to how did you, you know, that I think a lot of people can relate to that too. I certainly can. But how did you start to maybe pick up the pieces and get through that? Sure. So I tried to seek out help quite early on, but there really wasn't a lot of help in the UK kind of back in the day. Um, you know, because I know even today, eating disorder resources for bulimia are quite limited. Mm -hmm. But um, back then there was very, very little help available um, so I kind of became a bit resigned to the fact that I've somehow got to learn to recover myself um, so um, and you know I suppose I kind of look back on it and I actually had bulimia for about seven years and I do really believe that if I had probably managed to access um, effective help sooner it would have reduced that significantly um, one thing I think that really helped me so much is um, I always believe I would recover and I always felt very very hopeful even in my kind of darkest times like I didn't really know how I was going to recover I didn't really see 
how I was going to break out of these really destructive cycles, but I knew that somehow this wasn't going to be my life. And, um, and I can't really explain that because it wasn't really a kind of logical, clear, mm-hmm. well thought out thing. It was almost just like a kind of knowing. But I think having that kind of hope, having that belief that recovery was possible, it did help me to kind of keep seeking keep trying to keep reading to keep persisting and to you know to search out ways I was going to overcome this um and then it was a really bumpy road so I think initially what helped me massively was just starting to eat regularly again and to break out of that sort of cycle of restriction and then binging and I'm not saying that just once I started eating regularly that all the binging and purging stopped far from true um but it did really help because I guess once I was eating regularly and my weight had restored to a more healthy level um I meant my blood sugar was much more stable and I was felt more resilient and able to deal with the emotional triggers a bit better um Mm -hmm. even though so it's still a problem so I was kind of partially recovered for a while um and I tried to sort of initially sort of really try and sort of do it through willpower you know I like be counting down the days to see how many days I could get to without binging and purging but and I think that that was helpful to some degree but I guess it didn't really kind of get the kind of root stuff out and dealt with so my I suppose what I call my kind of real recovery um you know although that kind of the eating regularly that stabilizing my blood sugar physiology that was essential but my kind of more emotional recovery was very much through um talking to like one of my closest friends who is still a really good friend today and being able to just really sort of talk about some of the deeper kind of emotional issues I guess underneath the problem and through reading and through sort of educating myself and then I finally did actually end up having some counseling um it wasn't eating disorder specific but it was um just sort of general counseling where I could really sort of explore the deeper issues and um and start to find some peace I guess in all of it in terms of um because if for me it was you know as for anyone I think it was about the food but it was much more about the feelings and really deep down about not feeling good enough and mm-hmm. actually beginning to work on that kind of core thing of not being good enough was the thing that really helped me make a true recovery and move beyond bulimia yeah I would have to agree because what you're saying there about how you solved a lot of the practical things first like um taking care of not binging and purging as much Uh, the food and nutrition, getting your physiology stable, which has such a huge impact on your mental health and how you function, of course. But if you're not taking care of that emotional piece in the relationship with yourself, it's really hard to make a full recovery, as you found out. Mm, Yeah, very true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I might ask how, like, not feeling good enough is such a common thing everyone struggles with what were some of the steps you took to uh, maybe repair that or feel better about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a really, you know, the, it's a long journey, which I think <laughs> yes. I've been working on <laughs> even beyond, you know, like I recovered from my eating disorder sort of within seven years, but I'd say the kind of journey to feeling good enough and working on some of those core issues is is like an ongoing journey um, up to this day, although I'm very pleased to say I feel in a very, very different place. Um, 
But I suppose so much of it was firstly starting to have awareness maybe about certain things that happened and how those had impacted me. And I guess as a child, when we're exposed to things, you know, we look at our caregivers as kind of all wise and all knowing. And, um, you know, we don't really kind of question things that they say. And so much of my healing was starting to really look at that through my other adult eyes, you know, to maybe see as well um, where things have gone a bit wrong. Um, and I think as well, it's, you know, having compassion for people in my life where that had happened, because I think, you know, they, they were doing the best that they could. But um, mm -hmm. I guess there were certain things that I had been told, you know, over and over again, which had really... Um, impacted my self-worth on quite a deep level and um yeah so just becoming much more aware of that starting to sort of have a different relationship to actually sort of you know to value myself in a different way to let go of valuing other people's opinions as much and beginning to develop that sort of core self-worth I guess where I started to be able to value myself rather than always relying on what other people thought of me Mm -hmm. that's huge yeah because if you're always looking for external validation or what other people are thinking of you you can never actually know and it's always so fleeting rather than just having a core belief about yourself and I would agree that you know what you said was important in the beginning of it's an ongoing process and it's always maybe evolving is a good way to describe it and sometimes it's not always perfect and you can still struggle with it but continuing to develop it stay with it is important Plus, um, something else you said that was interesting was that when you're younger, you kind of look at your caregivers, caregivers as all-knowing. And as you get older, I think some people really think like they go, they think that, oh, everyone still has it all figured out and I'm the messed up one, right? And really, <laughs> it's just that you were thinking everyone was perfect and everyone else still, they don't have it all figured out. And realizing, like having some compassion for those people, realizing no one's perfect can kind of help with your self-worth as well I think yeah no so very true isn't it and, and I think as well you know the thing is your, your parents or caregivers in a way can only do as well as what they've been taught or what they've been exposed to mm -hmm. and um and it's really difficult isn't it because I think you know I know I've done a lot of my own healing just exploring kind of the generational trauma that's kind of come through from one generation to another and actually in so many ways, I've probably had it a lot easier, actually, than my parents had it, um, not to validate my own experience any less. But I suppose, like, when you're really understanding the journey and people's stories, um, you know, it, it's, it's so helpful, you know, just being able to kind of take that step back and look at things differently. Um, yeah. But also to kind of break the cycle, I guess, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know how well I'm doing that, to be honest with you, but almost like trying to step outside of that kind of generations repeating the same patterns and actually trying to step outside and to do something a bit different mm -hmm. um, but that's a work in progress <laughs> yeah yeah but you can see where like instead of just blaming people but you can you're not necessarily justifying their wrong actions either or things that they did that maybe hurt mm. you but you can see oh why did they do that and then understand them and maybe have a little compassion or empathy for them while still validating your own experience that can make it easier because at least you understand I think sometimes not knowing and not understanding creates a lot of resentment and hate and just frustration because you don't understand it uh, but when you can maybe look back and see the reasons why your parents 
did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do, you know, that can be a lot easier. Yeah, they're really, really true. I think an important thing to say is, you know, like obviously like talking about this all now, I've, I've really come to that place where I feel very peaceful about it all and can have a lot of compassion. But as part of the healing journey, there were times where I felt, you know, really upset and angry and rageful probably mm -hmm. about some of the things that happened. And, um, you know, obviously that's not necessarily... Um, not you know I wouldn't want to be necessarily directing that at anyone but I think as part of my journey it was important to just be able to touch base with some of those emotions and to kind of get them out in the safety of therapy um, yes. to be able to get to this point where I feel much more peaceful today um, I, you know and I think there's not a sometimes there's not a shortcut to that we kind of we can't just jump sometimes straight to the self-compassion place um, and the compassion for others place. We need to sort of go through that slightly icky bit in the middle first. Yeah, I see that um, with coaching. Coaching is very, very like, let's change your mindset. Let's do something. Let's let's fix it, um, which, you know, no one needs to be fixed. But uh, sometimes people want to jump straight to let's make everything positive and let's see only the good things. And there's really a need to first actually understand what's going on and feel your feelings really as cheesy as it sounds because it just releases those things and sometimes it takes longer than you'd expect you're like I felt angry why am I not feeling better now and it's like well sometimes you just need to feel that out for a while longer and I think therapy is really important for that especially people that have gone through something such as like extreme trauma or whatever just having the experience to talk openly and like you said experience those emotions safely I think is how you phrased it. So very important. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, that's all great advice. And that is a lot to do with eating disorders because a lot of us have those issues wrapped up in eating disorders. Um, so when did you be curious, you know, you got through bulimia and binge eating and all that and worked a lot on yourself. Were you a therapist at this time? When did you decide to go into therapy? So, yeah, no, really interesting, actually. I mean, what I did is um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I finished uni. So I did like a biology degree. And then I decided quite spontaneously, actually, which was a great decision, actually, looking back, is um, I went off to Australia for a year and just kind of got away from everything and just went sort of backpacking and um, like did a bit of working and just kind of got away from everything and kind of got off the treadmill of academia and studying and just almost had a bit of time to just get to know myself a bit more sort of separately from things at home and you know just to sort of find really but it just expanded my horizons really and enabled me to sort of take a step back and reflect and think about the future so when I was in Australia, I really decided um, I was still struggling with bulimia then, although my symptoms were becoming more reduced. Um, but I decided, right, what I want to do is go back to the UK. I want to train as a therapist. Um, I want to sort of support people and to have the experience that I didn't have in terms of, you know, being able to get that support. Um, so I very much went into it as the wounded healer, you know, kind of thinking, I want to save the world and, mm -hmm. you know, um, from that kind of place. So I came back to the UK and then I actually went and studied a master's in nutrition, um, which, you know, to be fair, in terms of the work I do today, um, although it is about the food, it's much more about the feelings. 
but I did that for a year and then what I did is I started to train at night school when I was working in the day I was training as a therapist um sort of through my mid-20s and um I sort of stopped purging when I was 24 um but I continued to binge eat a bit still after that particularly when I was kind of experiencing stressors so um while I was doing my counseling training I'd say I was probably like 85 percent recovered but it could still be a little bit of a coping strategy in the background um but then I completely finished my training and I started working as a counsellor when I was 29 um and um i managed to get a job actually I was really very fortunate um I managed to get a job working for the local adult eating disorder services um in the national health service in the UK and also it from the beginning I started doing bits of private work as well um and then I've sort of continued actually working partly in the national health service and partly doing private right through my career um yeah so sorry I think I've gone off the tangent a bit from the original no you're fine but it was yeah. interesting because like first of all going off on a journey like that is so so important and I will kind of want to do something similar but even I found in vacations where I've taken a week to two weeks off where I just really disconnect that's when some of the biggest changing moments have happened in my life like when I took a vacation um, when I first decided to release the podcast it was right after a vacation I'd had time and space to think and that's so important to just take, get off the treadmill, as you said, and take a moment, even if you're in bulimia still, you know, just to decide things and take a moment to think, what do I want? What do I, what do I even want to do? And it's hard to do that when you're just going, going, going in life. Um, and it makes sense why I think a lot of people like us that have been through eating disorders, it makes sense why you'd want to go and be in therapy because you just know how people feel. So you want to get through it. Um, and it's cool that you have also like you've done private work, but due to your job and what did you say the National Eating Disorders UK? What was it called? Yeah, so it's the National Health Service. So it's kind of like the the free, um, you know, sort of health service that we get in the UK and that we sort of pay through pay for through our taxes. Right. Um, so yes, yeah, so so yes, yeah, so I've been working um, sort of within that the, the National Health Service and um, sort of in my, in the in Cambridgeshire for mm-hmm. um, m- many years now. Oh man, I'm sure that you know with private practice it's a little bit more um, streamlined, but I'm sure with the National Service that you saw so many people, right? And got to see such a wide range of eating disorders and people struggling, I would imagine, right? Yeah, no, really true. And I think, you know, sadly, I think the way it has often been in the past is people often don't get into eating disorders services until they're really, really unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they've had the eating disorder for a while and it's become more entrenched. Um, I mean, I think thankfully things are starting to change. I mean, it's it's slow change, but there's a lot more kind of early intervention work coming through in the UK and things are improving, um, which is just wonderful and long overdue. Yeah, I see a lot of when I look up help for eating disorders and I look up eating disorder topics, it seems to be predominantly like a lot of them are from the UK, like YouTube channels and stuff like that. Um, is it more of an issue? Or is like bulimia and eating disorders a heightened issue in the UK? Do you know at all? What do you mean? Like compared to the US or like other places? Yeah. 
I don't know if it's just, you know, my personal bias or that I'm just, it's confirmation bias, but I feel like when I look up eating disorder stuff, like a lot of it's the information comes from the UK. I don't know if it's because there's more of a need for it there compared to the rest of the world. And then that's why they're producing more, but it just appears that way from the outside. I don't think that there are as many resources in the US when it comes to eating mm. disorders as there are in the UK, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, do you know, I'm not even really sure of the answer to that question, really. I mean, I would have thought it would be quite similar, say, in, in the UK, um, you know, in the US, Australia, you, you know, those kind of Western culture sort of places. Mm -hmm. um, and also across, um, you know, wider Europe as well. But um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure of the statistics on that. So yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither am I. That's why I just didn't know. But no, um, what, like, if you could, I'm trying to think of a question that isn't going to overwhelm you or something, but I'm curious <laughs> when you were seeing that many people, what is something you learned? Cause I know I've learned a lot from, by working with people too. So what is something that surprised you by working with so many people in different phases of their eating disorder? Um, hmm, good question. I mean, I think the thing that continues to I don't surprise me but kind of fascinates me a bit with eating disorders I think there is often this real ambivalence about change and I think you know that's something that almost everyone experiences um, with an eating disorder probably more so if you've got a restrictive eating disorder and you're underweight mm -hmm. but I think there's often just this real tension of you know people can come into the therapy room and just be so miserable and so distraught with their eating disorder and just at their wits end but they can also be understandably just terrified of letting go of it because it's become this coping strategy and um I think that's something you know that I, I see again and again and again and I think I think as well as a therapist sometimes it's um you, you know it can it can feel a bit frustrating because it's become particularly when people have had eating disorders for a while and um, they haven't perhaps had the help that they've needed early on it has become so much about the food and the symptoms and I think the underlying issues have almost got like so buried mm -hmm. and you can kind of as a therapist I guess I can kind of sense and see that they're there but it's almost like um yeah, helping that person break out as well of those kind of symptom cycles to be able to access that deeper stuff. Um, and all of that's often just such an unconscious process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How do you, I might ask, how do you start to uncover that? Because you're right, it can get buried and buried and buried. And people, what happens with bulimia, I find, is that it just gets so autonomous. It, and I described the symptoms as kind of just a habit at that point, because you just are doing it unconsciously. You don't even know where it came from. It just becomes a day-to-day -day thing. So when you get someone who is really in the trenches of it, they hate it, but they aren't really resistant to change. And maybe you don't even know, like it's obvious how to, but they still don't know how, how do you start to uncover like why they're doing what they're doing and break that down? Sure. But I think, I think the most, key thing initially is you know and it sounds a bit fluffy but it's like really forming a relationship with someone because I think 
often when someone comes into therapy, they can be quite skeptical. They can be really worried that they're going to be perhaps forced to gain weight. They can be really worried about talking about behaviors that are really shameful. So I think number one thing is like building that relationship, creating a safe space where someone feels that they can start to be open and share their vulnerabilities. So I think that's number one. And then I think number two is starting to really work on motivation for change. So helping that person to begin to understand their past, you know, almost to start to kind of piece together the bits of the jigsaw. Because I think people often come into therapy just completely like lost in the jungle, having no idea why they're doing what they're doing. They just know they're in it and it's really distressing. So Mm -hmm helping them to start to kind of put those pieces together. So maybe looking at what's happened in the past, understanding triggers, you know, talking through their story, helping them to begin to make sense of it as a psychological coping strategy. And then almost like once you've got those cards on the table, it enables you to take a step back and then to even think, okay, this makes a bit more sense. And also to think maybe there could be another way of coping because, you know, maybe I'm using the eating disorder, but actually perhaps there could be other healthier ways of coping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that really. And, and I guess that part of the motivational thing as well is really helping people to understand their values, you know, because most people, when they look back on their lives, you know, when they're 90 or whatever, they don't want to be thinking about, think I've lived my life. Um, worrying about my weight stuck in cycles of binging and purging or whatever they want to have had you know close relationships they want to maybe have traveled they want to have studied they want to have done things that are meaningful so I guess it's helping them connect again with their values and to so, so they can start to kind of almost get head above water and realize actually there is hope and there is a life beyond this eating disorder Yes. Yeah. I, something I love to ask people is like, what do you want out when you're recovered? What do you want to do? And if you don't know, what do you want to start exploring? Because people get so wrapped up in bulimia that they think this is all there is, or they, they know that there's more maybe, but they don't think it's possible for them. So I think expanding your life beyond bulimia and seeing re maybe rekindling the dreams that you have before and the new ones that you're going to have can be so powerful because it gives you something to look forward to. So it's one thing to unravel things and then deal with the behaviors. But then if you, you kind of fix that up and then there's still nothing going on, it's kind of like, well, sometimes what's even the point. So having hopes, things to look forward to getting them excited for life again, is just such a huge piece of recovery. I find. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it was, I know just for myself, that was such an important part of my own recovery that almost having that kind of beacon of hope, that light at the end of the tunnel thinking, oh, I want to do these exciting things in my life. And I don't, you know, if I have an eating disorder, that's going to really hold me back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure like when you were in Australia, you know, doing your own journey, And while you weren't completely recovered then, I'm sure even the hope of just like, hey, I want to help people. I want to do this really helped you let go of bulimia more and more and more because that gave you something to look forward to. Yeah, no, it it definitely did. I mean, I I really want to stress it was a bit of a perfect, imperfect, (laughs) imperfect Mm -hmm. journey. And um, when I look back on that time of my life, um, you know, 
obviously there was the kind of eating disorder symptoms, but I look back and I just think emotionally, I was all over the place and um, I had very few boundaries. Um, I really <laughs> didn't know who I was. Um, and, um, and I was very, very, very self-critical of myself because of all of that, but I couldn't really see a way out of it, you know, but it was a, it was all it was really helpful that you know going off to Australia having that space but it was just a very imperfect bumpy road but it was also quite an exciting ride as well mm-hmm. yeah I'm sure people <laughs> get really upset by the bumps in the road and that their journey is not perfect but they got to remember like that's how most things are and also it does make things exciting if you had just a perfect uh, whatever everything went right life you might not enjoy it as much as you think and uh, it's kind of just part of what reality is and I don't think you know it doesn't seem you seem very genuine and that you're not we all get that it wasn't perfect so don't worry about that <laughs> um, but I think what people do though maybe why you're saying that is that people think oh well they just got it together at this point and then it just went up from there and that's not true even me like when I share my story I I had so many ups and downs and I tried to recover. And then I finally, I had one of those like realization points of being able to pause and that I had kind of a choice in the matter of whether I binge and purge. And that there was a point where I did just altogether stop binging and purging, never went back to it. However, that is really making it sound like it was perfect. And even though I stopped that, I still had issues afterwards. Like my emotions, like you said, were all over the place. I still had a lot of cleaning up to do in my life. Yeah, no, sure. And it's, it's so helpful to share it, isn't it? I think, because I think as well, just like look, when I look back on myself then, um, yeah, I just feel like I have huge compassion for myself, really. I just really feel like I was absolutely floundering, kind of like, trying to, <laughs> yes, you know, almost, yeah, kind of clinging onto the edge of the cliff, really, like trying to do these like wild, crazy, exciting things and have a fulfilling life but at the same time just absolutely being on complete highs and complete lows and um and I think what's just wonderful now about being fully recovered is actually just feeling my general feeling so much more now is much more of contentment and happiness and joy rather than I think back in the day it was very much either like extreme kind of euphoria (laughs) or um (laughs) the depths of feeling really really low Yeah, there was no in between and it was exhausting. And I think sometimes when you're coming off of bulimia, that can seem a little bit boring to to come to contentment and happiness. But, and that's maybe what I had trouble with. I was like, well, I'm not experiencing crazy highs and lows anymore. So I'm just experiencing normalcy. And that was almost too much for me in in a weird way. I was kind of addicted to the highs and lows. But at, at looking back at it, like you're saying, from a longer period, it's like, this is so much better. Like the even keelness, of course, we both have low moments, but not being so crazy high or crazy low is a lot better um, than what that was. Mm, yeah, no, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. And I kind of think, yeah, looking back on that, I think, yeah, the crazy highs, I think, um, and when I'm talking about highs as well, I'm not talking about... Um, drug-induced highs I'm just talking about the the highs of the highs of life but I think yeah I I, yeah I wouldn't want to the lows that that were kind of counteracting those highs sometimes were desperately low and I think 
what I used to show other people as well. I think other people would have always described me as, oh, Harriet is really sort of, um, you know, kind of vibrant and happy and, you know, enthusiastic and everything. And, but I didn't really show anyone any of my vulnerability. So I was also quite lonely, really. And, in, and um, it very linked in with bulimia as well. Like the bulimia was very much my way of dealing with my negative emotions, kind of this kind of secret dark shadow side that I kept behind closed doors. And then out in the world, I'd kind of be this seemingly kind of coping, happy person. And um, there was a real, you know, real discrepancy. And I think, again, that just really fed into just such feelings of low self-worth as well, because of, I think one of my top values is authenticity. And I guess I just felt regularly that real disconnect between, um, you know, that I wasn't being truly authentic. And that really used to bother me as well. Yeah, when you feel like you're a different person than you are how you portray yourself to everyone and then other people, they comment on the fake personality that you're putting off or maybe even it's not even that you are that, but there's also this other side of you that they don't see. Mm. You feel like, yeah. oh my God, I'm lying. Even though what they're saying is true, you just they just don't know the full picture and that can really definitely contribute to self-worth and stuff like that. Yeah, Um I know that like this has all been, I feel like we could talk all day about this, but I would love to ask you to kind of wrap things up. Um, what advice do you think you'd give to someone who is maybe in the depths of bulimia right now, they feel like they don't even maybe have the belief that they can recover? What would you say to them on how to get help or what they should do? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think my number one thing would be like to talk to somebody, talk, sure. you know, to tell somebody and to tell someone as well who is going to be as accepting and kind and encouraging as possible, because obviously you don't want to be telling the wrong person and then it, it creates even more shame. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, being open with someone, I think is really, really helpful because of there's so much shame around having bulimia and um, actually just begin to say things out loud and to acknowledge it can just be such a relief in itself. Um, I would definitely say as well, I know resources are quite limited depending on where you live, but, you know, to pursue um, professional help because I think as well, the earlier that you get support, the much more quickly you are likely to turn things around. And I think with eating disorders, eating disorder behaviors can quite quickly become habits and much harder to break once they become entrenched. So again, mm. if you can get professional support and getting help, that's gonna um, be really positive. I think as well, what helped me was sort of reading and I mean you know nowadays there's so much stuff online where you can read about positive stories and um, you can be inspired by other people that walked the path before so I think that's really helpful as well because I think if you are feeding your mind with those messages that recovery is possible and holding on to hope it will kind of keep you moving slowly towards that light at the end of the tunnel um because I think once you if you start to just believe you've got to live with it forever and you start to lose hope then it can become really difficult because then you probably withdraw and you probably cut off unintentionally cut off those potential sources of help yes yeah um, absolutely yeah. I was filling my mind with tons of podcasts of there, there wasn't 
when I, I guess I didn't know where to look for them maybe, but I didn't find a lot of bulimia podcasts out there, but I was filling my mind with like people that had done things that I thought were impossible all the time um, when I was recovering in particular. And what you just said there about filling your mind, it does keep you going. Cause you're kind of like, if they can do it, I can do it. And even if you don't fully believe that you, it gives you a little bit of hope and that can push you forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's so important, isn't it? Just in life. I know even to this day, you know, I wouldn't myself listen to be listening to eating disorder podcasts. Um, but I will still to this day regularly immerse myself in material um, of people who I see as kind of mentors, people that inspire me, um, that kind of pull me forward and kind of give me hope to, because we're all on a journey continuously, aren't we? To kind of, um, you know, improve our personal development, to become more authentically ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, it's a life journey, isn't it? And, you know, if you're in the depths of an eating disorder, it's a great place to start you know to start to kind of you know look towards recovery stories and inspiring people that have walked that path before you absolutely yeah it just keeps you moving forward and gets you out of your own head too because when you're an eating disorder you're just so isolated and tunnel vision and you're just surrounded by your own kind of uh crappy thoughts so having someone else's voice in your head can really help especially if it's more positive and uplifting and inspiring but no, I, I think that that's excellent advice for sure. And it's not just so easy as like, it's, it's a hard thing to answer because there's so many things you tell someone to do. But I think getting like talking to someone, the right person, um, filling yourself with like hope and, and also getting help sooner uh, rather than later is definitely important. I always tell people like they're in different situations and resources are limited. So you can recover on your own and don't think because you can't have those resources that you can't recover, but definitely try to get any help you can, whether it's free or not, you know, at, at any point as soon as possible, for sure. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Well, thank you for being on the podcast and being a guest. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Okay, yes. Yeah. So like a great place to find me is on Instagram. So I'm at the underscore eating underscore disorder underscore therapist. <laughs> Sorry, it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and also have a podcast, um, The Eating Disorder Therapist. And my website is the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. So yeah, those are the best places to find me. Mm -hmm. So simple. I love when my URL is also like just my podcast name which is really nice it's unfortunate people have like a url that's different than their podcast name and their instagram's different so that's simple and easy for sure okay well thank you so much for being on the show harriet i really appreciate appreciate it sorry my voice is a little rough today and for those of you guys out there listening please go check her out her podcast is great like i said i've listened to a lot of the episodes lots of practical tips and advice to, you know, we were talking about finding resources. Her podcast is a great resource for you to get help right now today. All right. Bye guys. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.